You ever start a movie late at night after a long day with no intention of finishing it, but it pulls you in? Then you have to talk about it with your friends and family because it was so good or so bad? You, my friend, are not alone. Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast. What's up, guys? You're listening to the Midnight Watch Podcast, the podcast where we discuss the movies that we all love, secretly love, and love to hate. I'm your host, Jeremy, along with my brother, Josh, and we hope you're ready for another epic episode. Absolutely. Here at The Watch, we like to break down movies that are at least 10 years old or older. And in case anyone was wondering, we definitely don't hold back on spoilers. At the end of our review, we'll rate these movies in four categories. Number one, did it hit its mark when it was released? Number two, is it still relevant today? Number three, for personal enjoyment. And the big one here, number four, is it a midnight watch? All right, you dirty hobo, what is today's movie? Now wait a minute, who elected you leader of this here outfit? But seriously, ladies and gents, this dusty saga of a southern buffoonery comes to you today, all the way back from the year 2000. We proudly present to you the tale of the three most lovable bluegrass-singing escaped convicts in the, in the history of the state of Mississippi. Oh, brother, where art thou? Hot dog! It's the Soggy Bottom Boys! <laughs> I swear you put in some of these words so that I had to mess me up while I'm trying to read this. <laughs> Buffoonery. Southern buffoonery. <laughs> Southern buffoonery. <laughs> it it sounds like a word they would have used in this movie. It does actually. It's kind of an it's kind of an old timey word. Uh yes it is. Kind of like get I'm the only one here to generate capability for abstract thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well I'm voting yours truly. I'm voting for yours truly too. Yeah, this is gonna be a this is gonna I'm be a good you, one, fellas. guys. I'm with you failures. Any of you boys, smithies. <laughs> So, as you can tell, this movie is highly quotable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We... It was the last, last episode. We spent the first five minutes just quoting... Back and forth. Back, back and, and forth. forth. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, this movie is directed by the Coen brothers. It is... They had a budget of $26 million and it made a box office of $72 million. So... I think it hit pretty well. I, I actually don't know how often or what the Coen brothers make on their movies now, normally, but it's yeah. I think that's pretty solid though. Pretty good. They made it right. Well, next time we times. come back to a Coen brothers movie, because I doubt this will be the last time we we do the the brothers Coen. Uh, we'll have to look up that stat. Yes, this movie is starring George Clooney, Tim Blake Nelson, John Turturro, John Goodman, Holly Hunter, Charles Durning, Chris Thomas King. And lots of other people. So yeah, yeah. This movie All came right. out of the movie came out around the turn of the millennium, and I don't have too much trivia for this one on when it came out actually. So we can just go, I guess, right into the synopsis and then break it down after that. Sweet. Well, this synopsis, you guys, comes straight from Wikipedia. I had nothing to do with this one, and here we go. So this movie opens with three convicts: Ulysses Everett McGill. Pete Hogwallop and Delmore O'Donnell escape from a chain gang and set out to retrieve a supposed treasure Everett buried before the area is flooded to make a lake. The three get a lift from a blind man driving a handcar on a railway. He tells them, among other prophecies, that they will find a fortune, but not the one they seek. The trio make their way to the house of Wash, Pete's cousin. They sleep in the barn, but Wash reports them to Sheriff Cooley, who, along with his men, tortures the barn. Wash's son helps them escape. At this point, they pick up Tommy Johnson, a young black man who claims he sold his soul to the devil in exchange for the ability to play guitar. In need of money, the four stop at a radio broadcast tower where they record a song as the Soggy Bottom Boys. That night, the trio parts away with Tommy after their car is discovered by the police. Unbeknownst to them, the recording becomes a major hit. Near a river, the group hears singing. They see three men washing clothes I see three men. They see three <laughs> women. It's not I that kind of movie, first. guys. <laughs> we'll review Brokeback on another uh, another time. <laughs> Probably not. Anyways. <laughs> they see three women washing clothes and singing. 
The women drug them with corn whiskey and they lose consciousness. Upon waking, Delmer finds Pete's clothes lying next to him, empty except for a toad. Delmer is convinced the women were sirens and transformed Pete into a toad. Later, one-eyed Bible salesman Big Dan Teague invites them for a picnic lunch, then mugs them and kills the toad. Everett and Delmer arrive in Everett's hometown. Everett confronts his wife, Penny, who changed her last name and told his daughters he was dead. He gets into a fight with Vernon T. Waldrip, her new suitor. They later see Pete working on a chain gang, and later that night, they sneak into Pete's holding cell and free him. As it turns out, the women had dragged Pete away and turned him into the authorities. Under torture, Pete gave away the treasure's location to the police. Everett then confesses that there is no treasure. He made it up to convince the guys he was chained with to escape with him in order to stop his wife from getting married. Pete is enraged at Everett because he had two weeks left on his original sentence and now must serve 50 more years for the escape. The trio stumbles upon a rally of the Ku Klux Klan who are planning to hang Tommy. The trio disguises themselves as Klansmen and attempt to rescue Tommy. However, Big Dan, who's a Klan member, reveals their identities. Chaos ensues and the Grand Wizard reveals himself as Homer Stokes, a candidate in the opening gubernatorial election. The trio rushes Tommy away and cut the supports of a large burning cross, leaving it to fall on Big Dan. Everett convinces Pete, Delmer, and Tommy to help him win his wife back. They sneak into a Stokes campaign gala dinner she is attending, disguised as musicians. The group begins a performance of their radio hit. The crowd recognizes the song and goes wild. Homer recognizes them as the group who humiliated his mob. When he demands the group be arrested and reveals his white supremacist views, the crowd runs him out of town on a rail. Pappy O'Daniel, the incumbent candidate, seizes the opportunity, endorses the Soggy Bottom Boys, and grants them full pardons. Penny agrees to marry Everett with the condition that he find her original ring. The next morning, the group set out to retrieve the ring, which is at a cabin in the valley which Everett had earlier claimed was the location of his treasure. The police... Having learned of the place from Pete, arrests the group. Dismissing their claims of having received pardon, Chief Cooley orders them hanged. Just as Everett prays to God, the valley is flooded and they are saved. Tommy finds the ring in a desk that floats by and they return to town. However, when Everett presents the ring to Penny, it turns out it was not her ring. She doesn't want that one, and she can't remember where she put the real ring. Womp, womp, womp. And that's it. That's it. (laughs) It doesn't. I think Jeremy fell asleep while I was singing. (laughs) I there were so many times when you were talking that I was I wanted to just like interject with a line from the movie where I I know I spoke. I counted to three and I spoke my piece, and then it just (laughs) big day too cook. (laughs) You know, just (laughs) we thought you was a horny toad. Do not. Seek the treasure. <laughs> um, anyways. Uh, People, you need to go watch this movie. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. If you haven't seen it recently, go watch it again. Go It'll watch it again. Um, yeah, this movie is... Uh, the directors themselves call it the Lawrence of Arabia of Hayseed movies. This is like oh, the yeah. biggest Mon Pockettle big budget movie that has been out and will probably be out. I don't see this genre coming back in super popularity in the next several years but um but it's kind of funny though because that's a little hypocritical because the actual music on this became more popular than the movie itself right won a a grammy award for uh album of the year i believe yeah it did uh it actually won five five grammys is what it looks like sweet um it was on number one on the billboard album charts for 63 weeks wow wow I don't know if it was number one for 63 weeks, but but it was. Uh, that's a big deal, though, if it's on the Billboard chart for 63 weeks. So that's over a year after the release of the film. That's pretty crazy, right? Um, did you uh, did you buy this album when it came out? I, you know, actually, I think I just stole your copy of it. Um, makes makes sense because I definitely I bought this one <laughs> right when it came out because the, the the Man of Sorrows, yeah, song. No, for real, like I actually. But that goes right into our next sequence here of where were we when we saw the movie. Did you see the movie first or listen to or hear the music? I was I was wondering about that. I feel like I heard like I bought the soundtrack first because it was 
that's not unusual, you know, how they release it ahead of the movie. Right. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I bought the album first and then watched the movie. I think I, I think because I think when I heard the album, I was a little thrown off because I really thought it was all going to be all the songs were going to be like the Man of Sorrows song. Right. Just that kind of Delta Blues kind of vibe. And I was sort of disappointed at first because a lot of it's like very old school bluegrass and it kind of oh, yeah. wasn't what I was really expecting. But then you watch the movie and you're like, oh, yeah, that fits perfect. And then, yeah, I wore that album out. That's actually kind of almost exactly what happened to me, too. I Man of Constant Sorrows, I heard that song, and I immediately started listening to the soundtrack. was crazy disappointed with it, because you're right. It's like 1920s, 1930s actual right. recordings. Like, that opening song is actually mm. of the jailhouse, the guys in the jailhouse singing that from, like, the 1930s. Right. The yeah, Poe like Lazarus. A, it's an archived recording, I think. Like, mm. historical. Whatever. Yeah. I think that's what you just said. So, I'm going to repeat it, because it was awesome. No, hey, if it's the truth, be spoken twice, then let's say it that yes. I don't know what I just said either. <laughs> it sounded really good until you started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Not real intelligent like. Klaatu Verata. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um I said the words. Um okay. So yeah, that was kinda cool actually. The Cohen brothers tracked down tried to track down any of the inmates that were actually still alive from that original recording. And they found one of them, and they gave him like $20,000 for a licensing for the song, even though it's a, they didn't need to do that. I thought that was really yeah. cool. That's super cool. But yeah, this is one movie. So I'm really picky like when I buy vinyl, because when you listen to a record, you listen to it most of the time just all the way through. You don't... Yeah. You don't... It's got to... That whole album, in my opinion, has to be worth listening to if you're going to buy vinyl. Right. At least nine out of ten songs for an album for me to, to sure. buy it. And so I'm like super picky because there's a lot of times I like like half the songs on an album. Uh, but anyways, this would be this is one soundtrack that I definitely want to purchase on vinyl because after watching the movie several times, the music just it gets it, it just hooks you. And the I feel like the what am I trying to say? The emotion from the movie, different sequences and how the music is is done. It's not a I wouldn't label this movie a musical, but there right. is a ton of music in this movie. Yeah. The music is is very much a character in this movie as yes. well as physical characters. Yeah. And so having that emotional toll with the sequences of the music and the characters and all that that happens in there, I connect that to the music now. So now I love the soundtrack. It's yeah. like from beginning to end. I can just turn it on. I like every song. I think the only song I don't really like too much actually is the You and Me and the Devil Makes Three. But that's still a great song in itself. I just, it's not my favorite one. Sure. Yeah, I, a lot of, not to go down too far down this rabbit trail, but a lot of my, what end up being my favorite albums in general are ones that I don't necessarily like immediately. Not, not that I hate them, but they're just not like, oh, this is amazing. And I just give, but I really grind it out and I keep listening. I keep listening and it grows on me. And an album like that usually ends up being like a solid, um, you know, high in my list of favorite albums. Oh, yeah. Kind of a situation. And this album definitely did that for me. No, I absolutely. It was, it's definitely one of those, I should say. I'm, I'm right there with you. No, I totally agree. That's, that's, uh, that, that, it's kind of weird how that happens because, like, normally you have a pushback at first because you're like, that's not what I was expecting. But then later, the, the artist is like, "But that's what you—that's what you needed." Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I feel the same. Yeah, I definitely—I actually can't wait to listen to this soundtrack again. Uh, pretty soon, I—I I need to pick this vinyl up more sooner than later, sometime this year for right. sure. Yeah, I went straight to uh, after I watched the movie with the girls. I went straight to iTunes and uh, started playing it. Though, disappointingly, the that um that chain gang song at the beginning yeah and also the hard rock candy mountain mm -hmm. these are not on the uh you can't get it on itunes which i think it's what because of the, yeah it's not available oh you mean the big so rock that, candy mountains i say what i say hard rock <laughs> hard rock yeah. candy mountains <laughs> yeah well like I, I think i blended that uh that's a dolly parton song i think <laughs> is it <laughs> <laughs> no it's hard rock candy christmas or something anyways Anyway, that sounds like a good song. Hard, we should do a song, Hard Rock Candy Mountains. That actually, never mind. Uh, I like that idea. I'm not kidding. I'm writing that down. All right. Put a pin in that. Okay. We'll so, 
Uh, jumping into this, uh, as you, most people know, George Clooney did not do his own vocals in this movie. He practiced for weeks, but then it turned out that they actually hired Dan Tybinski to do the vocals for Man of Constant Sorrow. Right. And he's also you know one, who, he's one of the, huh? I was just, uh, you're probably about to say, I was like, do you know who that is though? Who, no, let's go for it, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, he's in the band Union Station, which is the backup band, I guess you could say for Alison Krauss. Right. Who is a world famous country and bluegrass singer who, who also sang, she was on two or three of the songs on the album. I believe so. I should have known which ones, but I'm I'm not sure. But no, you're absolutely right. And then also, it's kind of cool. Um, I was when I was watching it, and Tim Blake Nelson was singing in the jailhouse. Now I was like, that those vocals sound like he could totally be singing that. That is that was him. That's right? him singing it. Yeah. Yes. That's actually him. And I was like, that's cool. That makes sense. His voice works for that perfectly. Totally. Well, you've you've seen Bust the Ballad of Buster Shrugs, right? No, I haven't. I haven't watched Netflix? it yet. Well, there you go, folks. Go check that out. It's a, it's another Coen Brothers movie that they did exclusively for Netflix, and it's five or six vignettes that all take place in the West. And the type the, the title of the movie is also the first vignette, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and it stars Mr. Tim Blake Nelson, who is phenomenal, and he sings in like a total Roy Rogers singing cowboy kind of way. It's awesome. It's the best one of the whole movie, but definitely go check it out. But that actually, when I heard him singing this, or mm-hmm. rather in Oh Brother, I was I knew because I had just seen Buster Scruggs recently, and I was like, ah, that's definitely his his voice. That's cool. No, I forgot about that movie. Thanks for reminding me. I need to. That's been in my my queue for a long time. I just haven't seen it yet. That there's there's one with him, and then there's one with Tom Waits, who plays a prospector, which is that's also that's my second favorite one. Super good. Oh, that sounds that sounds exciting to me. Oh, and then just another little uh, musical uh, thing that I want to throw out there. The uh, the guy that plays Tommy in the movie, uh, he's an, he is an actual blues player artist named Chris Thomas King. And he is really playing and jamming out, you know, those that Delta blues style on the guitar, which originated in Mississippi. From what I heard, I actually didn't research this myself, so I apologize if I'm wrong. But I, I had heard that his character is based off of the great bluesman Robert Johnson, who basically invented that Delta blues and kind of the kind of the blues in general. I guess you could kind of call him the godfather of it. Yeah. Back during that time period who and the legend goes that he sold us soul to the devil to to be the, the great player and singer that he was. I actually read that while I was researching this movie. So I think I believe you're right on that. All right. Marks for two, you. That's good two stuff. guesses from the interwebs. Correct. <laughs> yes. This movie also is famous for, this is the first movie that they actually digitally color corrected and edited. That's a big deal. They actually filmed the movie on film. It's not the first movie that was digitally shot, but it is the first movie that was digitally edited as with the color correction. That's why they have like specific blending techniques, how the movie starts off black and white, then it goes to sepia and then a little bit of color and certain, and then there's like the, the one part two when they're at the Klansman, a clan clansmen meeting and they're hiding in the bushes and everything's gray except for the flames on the front of the bushes and then when they raise their heads up then their heads are in color as well but everything else is gray right sequences like that is awesome because they actually shot this movie in july and that was like green country like all of those scenes would have been like bright green right so for all all y'all uh western folk as in west coast <laughs> as in non-western people, people. <laughs> <laughs> right as in people from california and up and down the coast are old stomping grounds generally that time of year for the west coast everything's brown mm-hmm. and this this movie supposed to take place during the great depression and basically in the dust bowl so everything was just dead there's a huge drought that had been on and everything was just kind of gray and brown but anyways in the summertime out here in the south, it rains all the time, and everything is just green and lush. So, yeah, they definitely had to uh, change that up. And that was um, before I knew what you just said about them. Um, it was being the first movie where they edited the color in post. That was one of the things that grabbed me right away at rewatching this movie was just loving that dusty, washed-out color because it really puts you in that time period and, and in the feel of like it's just dirty and 
sweaty and uh, but beautiful too though oh yeah and i believe a lot of that goes straight to the cinematographer roger deakins who is yes insane like amazing most of the fantastic films that you've seen like he did skyfall i'm trying to think of what else he's done but he's done tons of famous movies go, go, go. Uh, he did blade runner 2049 he did 1917 he did sicaro no country for old men fargo true grit he's done let's see if there's any other super famous ones i mean he's done unbroken hail caesar he's done, i think it looks like he's worked with the coen brothers almost his their entire career that's what it looks right. like well i think up until up until that movie he'd done several of theirs if not all of them yeah that's what i'm sure. looking that's what i'm seeing yeah they got the lady killers all kinds of different ones so anyways yeah phenomenal cinematographer there and he tried to mess with the the film doing using chemicals and it just wasn't coming out with the the specific look that they were wanting so then they actually hired this entire company to do it digitally and this is the first feature length film that had digitally color correction and editing in it which is pretty awesome yeah it, it's it holds up so well today even oh yeah it's like yeah it's amazing so what, what were you gonna say well i was just gonna kind of move on along with my thoughts as you were looking that up um in the first i don't know five minutes of the movie when they escape the chain gang and they're hopping onto a um a train mm-hmm. and george clooney's first in line this train is moving and so he jumps into one of the box cars and there's a bunch of hobos you know bums Riding on the train, and he—that's where he says his line. Excuse me, gentlemen. Any of you happen to be smithies? Yeah. And, uh, or skilled in the metallurgical arts? <laughs> <laughs> and and in the background, you see Tim Blake Nelson and John Turturro running, and each and Tim Blake Nelson's next in line. He jumps into the into the car, and he's kind of half in the car, half out. And John Turturro's running behind, and he trips and falls, and they're all chained together. And then one by one, they get yanked out of the car, and it's just classic three stooges physical comedy and i've seen this movie so many times and i still laughed out loud when i saw that just the looks on their faces and john deterio yelling ah! you know as he falls <laughs> and just, dum, dum, dum. then they get with down the train right and how the the people just look at him they don't even yeah react no emotion no yeah oh my so, gosh yeah it just sets the tone for the movie that it's like it's it's a really intelligently made movie but it's got some of the best just goofy I, I forget, you said it best at the beginning, what they called it, a, uh, a hayseed of a movie. film. Yeah, an epic, the Lawrence of Arabia of hayseed movies. And it's it's like a, it absolutely is like a Three Stooges movie, just modern-ish. Oh, yeah. And it's <laughs> funny, too, um, because I believe George Clooney hadn't done really any comedy before this movie. And people, they actually wrote the role of Everett McGill for him in mind and they they asked him and he actually he he didn't even he didn't even read the script before he said yes because he wanted to work with the coen brothers and apparently he's a big goofball actually oh yeah well did you watch the uh on the dvd did you watch the making of yes yeah i did so there's a there's a scene anybody that has a dvd uh if you haven't seen this you should check it out it's probably on youtube also but the the making of featurette and they're talking to uh, Clooney about him doing this role and the and the being funny and the what the jokes and stuff they wrote for him, and just in I mean you can just tell he's 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 cracking up and and he's like well you want me to do something like Popeye and then he totally does like a Popeye accent and just changes his face it, it it's yeah. amazing I mean that guy is so disgustingly talented he could really do like Jim Carrey style physical comedy if he wanted to I mean it's you get a taste of it in this movie and he's he's phenomenal oh yeah especially um one of my me and my wife and i our favorite parts is when he gets in the fist fight and (laughs) waldrop pops him in the face and he he just shakes it off he's just like he's stunned he's like what what (laughs) like eyes crossed and right he's just like his hair's all messed up he's just like pop pop and he's like what oh man that like I laughed out loud in this movie a lot. Like, unfortunately, yes. my wife didn't uh, didn't watch it with me this time, even though we've watched this movie many times. And, but I just this movie is so there's so many sequences in this sequences in this movie. There's very few parts in this movie where I'm like, oh yeah, this part, and I'm waiting for it to go on to the next right. part that I like. I like almost every sequence in this movie. Right. And but you know what's funny? I got to add to that. It is a long movie though. 
It is. You're right. I, you're watching it and you're like, man, this movie's going on and on. I, I don't know that it's quickly paced because it kind of has that Southern feel of kind of taking its time, but every part's good though. Yeah. No, I agree though. It, it, it is not, it, it, it is not that, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> it does not, uh, it does not <laughs> hurry its way through. There's different no. sequences that are exciting, like the whole, yeah, like cow chasing scene or whatever. When, uh, sure. Uh, but which is kind of funny because people thought that was real as well. And so this movie, people were trying to get this movie in trouble until they saw the scene. It's a, that was a CG car, cow, actually. That was not a... I thought that was a real cow and they put actual squids on it for the gunshot right. wounds. But no, that was completely CG. So Same when it hits the cow. Yeah. The car hits the cow. The car hits the cow. Um, pretty crazy, though. Like It's so funny because that scene is hilarious. But at the same time, you're like... Ah, they just shot the cow, but that's <laughs> yeah, it's cringy. It it's is totally. Like, oh man, yeah, you're like oh George, not the not love, <laughs> friend. <laughs> some of your spending money's come unfold. Oh, some of your folding money's come oh, unfold. <laughs> <laughs> but but what kind of lot? What look yeah, a lot of work you and George, <laughs> right? But and in uh, case you haven't seen this movie, this is a part a section about uh, this gangster they run into. Uh, babyface George Nelson, who is a no, character that pop, pops up. Is he babyface? I thought yeah. he was. No, I thought he was. Because he's like, because in the bank, he's like, don't call me babyface. And he's all angry. Is that what or it was? Or is it just baby? Big baby George Nelson? I think it's babyface. Oh, Anywho. it it is. Wow. I don't know why. I thought that he was trying to be somebody else. I, I thought, because I, never mind. I, for some reason, I thought he wasn't babyface Nelson. Uh, but yeah, that's true. That's why she, the the woman goes, "That's Babyface Nelson," and he and he's like, "My Who name is George that? Nelson, not <laughs> Babyface." Yeah, <laughs> Jesus saves, but George Nelson withdraws. <laughs> so I should probably uh, cut it back qu- on the on the quotes on this movie. Nah, let it roll. Let it roll. There's a quote in like every scene. I swear, if not more than one. Yes. Uh, I really feel like this movie does well. I, to in case anybody doesn't know, this movie is based off of uh, that old Greek tale, Homer's uh, the Iliad. That's the Odyssey, say, right? The Odyssey. Yeah. Well, same difference, right? No, there's two different stories. No. <laughs> the Iliad well, is I about the fall of Troy or whatever. Oh, um, there we go. I can cut that out. Or don't. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, the Coen we brothers. We say dumb. We say dumb things on this on this here show sometimes. But it really, um, what I was trying to say before I made a fool of myself is this, this movie really, I feel like it really captures kind of the Southern experience. The, uh, you, you kind of get a feel for Southern life. There's the, the, that element of like blood is thicker than water. Uh, and that's not necessarily strictly a Southern thing, but it is it's kind of a big deal with family being what it is. Even if you hate them, you, you stick with them. Yeah. Uh, there's a big, um, uh, salvation being a Christian is definitely a big tone in this movie, but it also shows that a lot of what people in the South would, you know, when they would maybe claim to be a Christian, but it's more of in name only and not in word or action. It's more in like culture than personal belief. Yes. Yes. So next that died <laughs> sorry i was just waiting. i didn't want to interrupt your train of thought i was like go for it like you're going you're you're i was like all right let's do it let's get yep, let's that, get literature just on this anyways uh, move, moving to the next point that i had uh when they record their song and he's all there's a man that pays ten dollars to sing into his can and that whole you know going back to music the soundtrack is is the backbone of the story and right when they get to that point and they sing that song the uh, man of constant sorrow just mm, gives you chills. So well done. It does. That was some mighty fine of picking and singing. <laughs> you uh, yeah. sign these. I love how that dude from Office Space he just hits the yeah. He hits the window. He's all like, "You just sign these. Bam, bam, sign these papers." <laughs> uh, that'd be great, sir. All of us except uh, Ella wishes here. <laughs> only four of us can with write. Because only four of us can write. <laughs> I had to explain that to the girls. Because they didn't quite get it. <laughs> it just he says it fast. From that guy. He does. Well, yeah, the George girls, Clooney's it took, the, the, it no, took the girls a while to get kind of into the flow of 
uh, the the dialogue and how you know some of it goes by really fast and some of it's really you know they keep using the phrase old timey but it yeah. is in a lot of the dialogue it's very old-fashioned and it takes a minute to catch on to what they're saying well like for example uh delmar it plays somebody who is not overly bright and pete uh john Turturro, uh john Turturro is kind of in the middle sort of yeah. paul said never trust a hog wallop but um and then you've got george clooney's character everett mcgill who is super quick thinking lightning fast tongue and so whenever he talks he talks fast uses a lot of expressive words and is intentionally trying to sound smart to everybody right sounds smarter than he is right and you find out that he was he was a, a fake lawyer basically and was making his living just ripping people off with his mouth <laughs> right well i mean he said practicing law without a license so i don't know if he was in, intentionally ripping people off but he definitely didn't want to go to school they didn't really that's about all you get is about that right but well, he's mean, kind of a snake you're right and you don't i mean or i don't know you'd almost say he's kind of a con man yeah he kind of has that feel i mean he cons i mean he basically before he has kind of his own personal change and fesses up to the the two uh, guys that he he convinces them to leave early you know right like that whole scene where he's all like i was good i'll be 84 years old when i get out and adelmer's yeah. like i'll only be 82 <laughs> so like, i gotta love delmer he's such the the glass is half full yeah you know kind of peacemaker in the group right and he's like yeah he's like hey take delmer here and he's like yeah look at me fellers <laughs> but um there's so many oh my gosh there's it's so hard to talk about this movie because there's so much I want to say about this movie and like spitball and firing all over the place. I mean, like, I mean, we could literally do a half hour of, of quoting the movie and right. it would be fine with my eyes. Right. Well, you and I would enjoy it. We'd be laughing the whole time. Other people would be like, this is the dumbest thing. I've wow. Ever. <laughs> you going to say anything about this movie at all, guys? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one thing I actually, there's, uh, let's get a little bit more specific here they this movie is so well made there's like a bust of homer behind the behind the mayor at one part there's uh, several pictures that were made into sequences like for example uh let's see what we got here where is it i just lost my notes here oh yeah so when they're walking down the street and they see the two african-american boys on the country road when they're carrying the the blocks of ice and it's just kind of a cool little sequence as you're hearing a song playing and they're just walking down showing some country life like that's a visual reference to let's see it's called the uh, works it works progress administration photograph by yodoro uh, Welt- weldy and then the other one um when they're rolling up on the hog wallet farm and there's bottles in the trees like that's another reference to a famous photograph from the 1930s right so just i think that the twins though too with the carrying the ice i believe that's also um from the odyssey where there's two twins is it, that that makes sense because you know you got the you have the blind man in the beginning he's the oracle right then and of you course, have uh tom uh goodman tom oh goodman. you mean john goodman big, john goodman. big dan yes. two court big yeah. tan yeah uh and he's he's the uh well it's kind of it's cool they really they blend a lot of that old southern iconicness. i don't think that's a word anyways and then also things from the odyssey so he is he's the uh cyclops cyclops thank you he's the cyclops from the story of the odyssey but he's also in the ku klux klan the uh the grand cyclops is also a person who the high seat of office or whatever in that particular organization so it was kind of twofold that he's a cyclops yeah um, from the odyssey who robs them and then also being in the ku klux klan yeah and then there's also you've got of course the sirens which is probably the biggest the easiest one to spot straight out of homer um and then you've got uh the flower lotus or the lotus flower sequence where everybody's going and getting baptized and it's like almost a dreamy type of hypnotic sequence that uh they mix that in really well and it's just a beautiful imagery and and so it's just it's so cool and then of course you know the the ending sequences um as well and so they they did take other experiences from other stuff um to mix it together and they did it really well and it's cool. John Turturro actually told um, that told Tim Blake Nelson when they were on set. He was like, "Hey, this is going to be a classic because I've done enough movies with them 
to that to know that like whatever you read in the script the movie's going to be two times better than that and right. that's cool tim blake nelson is actually the only one out of the entire cast that had actually read the odyssey and so he has got really? like a yeah he's got like a major and classic classical uh lit and so like he lived apparently next to Joel Cohen and they sent him the script and he thought they wanted him to read it to give them information on the Odyssey, not to actually be in the movie. Oh, wow. And so it's funny because he plays the guy who's probably one of the lesser intelligent people in the movie. But in real life, like this, yeah, is, this might, guy might be the smartest guy, might you, be the I smartest guy. Can, I think you can kind of tell with him. Well, yeah. I don't know, maybe we've just seen him in enough other things where you're like, he's just a Dang, he's a author. fantastic actor. He's just author actor. Well, I don't, I don't know if he's actually written anything, but it, I mean, him <laughs> and John Turturro. John Turturro, of course, is oh yeah, is just amazing. Anything you see him in, you're like, he's gonna do good. Even from right. this to, I mean, the crime movies that he's been in, and then you play, you see him playing in the Adam Sandler's Zohan movie, right? <laughs> and, and Mr. Deeds. Mr. Deeds when, yeah, just very, like... Very, very sneaky, sir. Very sneaky. And then you got Secret Window, and he's just in all kinds of different films. Oh, yeah, films. I forgot about Secret Window. Yeah. And so, anyways, yeah, the whole well, cast, gotta, though, is fantastic. Yes, well, I gotta just tack on to that, as far as the casting. I feel like all the extras in this movie were superbly cast. I don't know if they casted yes. people from the South, but they just have that salt-of-the-earth, down-home, simple, just good people kind of vibe they that do you, that you would see kind of out in the south so it i don't know it was it's just it's eye candy as well as a great story as well as a funny story as, a, as well as a great soundtrack yeah um as my daughter ryan say we're totally fangirling over this movie ah did they like the movie they did that's we fantastic. tried we tried to watch it uh earlier this year and last year and it is kind of a long drawn out movie and so they kind of lost interest even though trinity and i were making quotes and laughing yeah you know as it was going but uh this time they seem to like it more i'm also suspicious because it was getting close to bedtime and uh you know anything is better than bedtime so but i'm gonna i'm gonna go with it <laughs> actually like the movie yeah no i well that's good i'm glad to hear that this right. is probably the yeah I'm, I'm i'm pretty sure this is probably the most family-friendly movie the coen brothers have made because even, like, Raising Arizona, I believe, has some, like, more intense sequences. I think this is yeah. the least violent film the Coen brothers have made. Probably. Uh, I was thinking to... I was thinking to watch Lady Killers with them. I think that one's only PG-13. I think it's R for language. Is it? I don't know. If that's it's just one for movie, language... It's one movie I, I haven't seen, actually. Really? I know. So, after... You know, I loved this movie, and after... or Because Lady Killers came out the next year or the year after, or whatever... Mm-hmm. And so I I went and saw this one in theaters, uh, Lady Killers, and it was funny because I was a little bit I, I get I was really expecting Oh Brother again for some weird reason, um, so I didn't quite like it as much the first time I watched it, and then every time I've watched it since then I'm like oh this movie's hilarious. Tom I, Hanks has one of the best like aristocratic Southern accents you've ever heard. Well, the Coen Brothers are interesting like that because they'll do like hard hitting crime movies that are like deal with like like disturbing level of realistic violence in it and stuff and then right. they'll do these you'll do raising arizona oh brother where art thou lady killers you have hail caesar which george clooney kills in that movie too um which just, i have to say i have not seen that one which uh, i've been meaning to i've almost watched it i don't know how many times recently because it's on netflix uh, I had the privilege of seeing that one in theaters. My wife was so bored, and <laughs> she was like, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> oh, no. But I uh, I was great. And then, of course, the love it or hate it burn after reading movie, which is, that's a, that's kind of a hard movie to watch for me, personally. Is uh, it? I, I really like that movie. See? But, see I think, I, but I think yeah. Trinity hated it, though. Yeah, it's, I mean, I could tell, like, where we should go back to what, talk about her brother, Wart, though. Um, yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> anyways, yeah, oh, Brother Art Thou, so do we got any other things before we want to go into final thoughts on this one? Well, oh, just one little tidbit. If you're into the folk music scene in the last 10, 15, maybe 20 years, it's just been around for a while, but when they're, when the Soggy Bottom Boys hit song, Man of Constant Sorrow is blowing up and and people are wanting it, and they're they're talking about it. The artist Jillian Welch, who also contributed to the soundtrack, she's 
the lady who's in the store who, who wants to buy the record and the and the, the, the man behind the counter is like, sorry, man, we're sold out. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And That's cool. I, yeah. So she's uh, she also contributed to the uh, to the album, but she's a very well-known folk singer. I learned about her from she's played with Chris Thiele, the mandolin player from Nickel Creek. Totally had a brain fart there. I love Nickel Creek. Yes. Mandolin player. And then also who I love even more, his other band, Punch Brothers, which is my favorite bluegrass band, I think. They yeah, I rock really... stars of bluegrass for sure. Yeah, this for movie. Sure. This movie was definitely introduced me to bluegrass because before that I thought that it was all just country music, and then this was like a different genre that I hadn't experienced yet, and really enjoyed it. I want to say this is the first Coen Brothers movie I saw too, actually. Oh wow! Yeah, I can't remember exactly when I saw this movie, but it grew you know on what? me. I don't know that I can't remember. I feel like I had to have seen some of their other movies before this one but this one to me if i had seen other movies by them i don't think i really paid attention that it was the coen brothers because after this movie when i knew that lady killers coming out and it was a coen brothers movie that's what made me want to watch it right like i can't i don't remember if i saw big lebowski before or after this i knew what big lebowski was but yeah i definitely saw that after this i i definitely think that that was the uh yeah, this was my intro to the Coen Brothers, and then I went back and started watching most of their fl- their films at the time. Well, you have right. any other last-minute uh, last tidbits? Um, I love the part with the little kid with the hog wallop where he's all like, You sorry, sons oh, yeah. of so-and-sos, I curse your name. I curse your name! And uh, <laughs> the thing I thought was cool, I just noticed this little sequence, was when he steals the car from his pa, and he's like, I'm going to R-U-N-F-O-F-T. And yeah. then, and he's got the blocks of wood on his feet so he can hit yeah. the, the pedals yeah. and they drive off. And the next sequence when he's cussing him out and he's leaving, he still has the blocks on his feet and he's walking away. No, I never <laughs> saw that. I was like, that's such a cool little like extra thing. Right. Oh, he's like, oh my gosh, there's, okay. So yeah, we're going to yes. go into final. Uh, this might be the most quotable movie we will ever do. I show you I mean, might I, be right there's one or two I'm other sure we'll movies, come across a few others but i mean every scene has quotable lines in it like i could probably legitimately like just say half of this movie just sure. because it's so memorable so josh let's go over the list real quick let's see what we got here did you think you think it hit his mark when it was released yeah absolutely i think it's a, it's a solid a i think it you know not only did it quadruple its money back uh the soundtrack alone just put kind of i don't want to say put bluegrass bluegrass on the map but it definitely put it back on the map in a bigger way than it had been i think for a while i think it really opened yeah. up people's eyes to uh not just bluegrass but maybe folk music in general i know i really speaking of nickel creek i really got into nickel creek uh, a year or two after this movie had come out that's when i first heard about them and then within five years of this movie coming out i think that whole folk revival really yeah. blew up like Mumford and Sons and uh yeah oh, Luminator, oh, Lumineers Lumineers yeah Devil Me yeah. 3 Yeah no I I agree uh Shovel and Rope all that stuff Yes I agree um yes so it did hit its mark uh but I think the Coen brothers most of the time their movies hit the mark to be honest because they're such acclaimed filmmakers that right. I'm not every, not every time but I, I'm pretty close to it think the movie is still relevant today Yeah I th- I feel like almost any way you look at it, it is uh, for us, for sure, from a nostalgic point of view. Yeah, it is. Um, I I don't think there's anything. I, and it, okay, I'm gonna get a little bit soapboxy here, but as far as all the change that we're seeing, you know, happening around us, as far as social justice goes, you see in this movie, it really captures the beauty and the ugliness of the South. Some of the, you know, some of the old South, even then, still trying to stick around, like the Ku Klux Klan. And that entire segment and all of that is just it's blowing up today. So I feel like this movie yeah. today is still hitting on those same subjects of, of race and class and holding on to the past, the, the ugly, um, but also still try, trying to embrace some of the, the good as well. Not not lose that at the same time. Yeah. And I, I think also on a filmmaking stance, it I mean, it definitely is 
it's got a spot for like the first digitally edited film uh yeah. color wise you know and then um also too though i feel like it's it falls in the the same genre as big fish of that it's a well well liked movie a lot of people remember it sure. fondly when you say like uh, like if you've seen this movie most most likely you, you like this movie um, yeah i have so, not really come across many haters i think there's people yeah. that wore it out and they feel kind of like oh i saw that movie so many times but at the same time they liked it oh yeah i mean every movie everybody every movie has fans or it has people it doesn't like you know that <laughs> every f- movie has have <laughs> can't say it's there's some people don't like star wars and lord of the rings and so this movie is no different than that there's gonna be some people sure. that just don't like it just because it's not their bag of tea and so that makes sense right uh, I know my right. my buddy my buddy Grant at work was saying disease he's, he's born and raised here in the Nashville area that when this movie came out I mean it was just a monster hit out here and I I know it was a big deal in California but definitely the music it, the music was kind of it was a big deal also but not like out here in the South where this is the roots of it and it, I'm sure it was even a bigger deal out here watching it come back around and blow up and be the the, the giant hit that it was. Oh, yeah, for sure. That'd be interesting to talk to people in that area and to see, like, what do they think about it? So if you guys, yeah, let us uh, let us know what you think about it, if it had a cultural impact on you, because that'd be fascinating, because that movie's, this movie's 20 years old now. Right. So that'd be great. But it sounds like, I mean, I, I like, again, I you talk to people out here in Tennessee, and it still seems to be like, oh, that's a great movie. Yeah. So let's go into personal enjoyment. Josh, yeah. do you enjoy this movie? <laughs> I it's all right it's all right you know it's, it's right. cool <laughs> uh it's a tv movie <laughs> no. yeah i i don't see how i couldn't give it an a because it's it's just so quotable man and like yeah yeah i, I kind of i'm trying to think of things to bash on this movie and i'm sure there are but i kind of i've watched this movie with uh yeah with just i can't I, yeah, this is an A for me too. I just I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a fantastic film. Uh, I didn't mean to do an A back to back with with uh, our previous movie, right. but uh, yeah. So well, A's from both do? of us on that. Winners are winners. I mean that's that's three A's in a row. Okay, here's the big one, the new category. This is our only our three A's in a row doing this. Yeah, uh, category wise. Uh, okay, would you consider this movie a midnight watch? I uh, I think yes. This is my first midnight watch movie because I think anytime it would if it's just on late at night, like you just start quoting it and watching it right. because like there's like I said, besides maybe the siren scene and maybe I'm trying to think of something another scene that maybe the Ku Klux Klan scene. Besides those two scenes, like every other scene is mesmerizing to me, and right. uh, it's just yeah. So what about you? I, I think hands down this is a classic example of a midnight watch. And maybe you don't watch the entire movie from where wherever you pick up, you know, watching yeah. it, but for sure you're gonna want to finish the scene you're watching because you yeah. know there's something funny or something interesting happening, and then you might even watch the next scene because or next sequence because you know, oh that part's coming, I love that part. And I think this oh, is yeah. absolutely a midnight watch. Yeah, dude, I totally agree. So there you have it. It only took us nine episodes to get to our first midnight watch. So yeah, that's pretty exciting. And three A's, man. This is a this is a hat trick. This is yeah. This is this, this is, is the one. Yeah. So you guys, uh, that means you should definitely check it out. And if you don't like this movie, we'd love to hear about it too because. I, de- I showed this movie to uh, one of my roommates, and he was like, I thought he was going to love it. And he was like, yeah, it was okay. So, wow. But he also he also didn't think Monty Python was that funny, too. So, wow. Uh, yeah. So maybe you're he, just, something's wrong with you if you don't like this movie. Pretty much. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. We would love to hear why you don't like this movie. That would be uh, right. really cool to hear. Every All right. movie is you're entitled to your opinion, for sure, because... I mean, why do we watch movies? To be educational Absolutely. or just fun? Enjoy. To be entertained. If it makes you escape and awesome, and if it killed time and you needed to kill time, then well done. <laughs> there you go. And speaking of awesome, here is our quote from our next movie that we're going to be doing. There it is. Nice piece of work I ever done, I think. It's got a low <laughs> grain load, so it won't tumble. Ought to be pretty accurate. Why shoot? It's just a gag. I mean, uh, what the heck are you going to shoot a forty-four bullet at anyway? Made out of silver? How about a werewolf? Ba-da-da. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I think hands down, that is the worst job we've ever done doing a quote <laughs> from a movie. <laughs> so I if agree. You, if you figure that movie out based on that quote, that's awesome. Yeah, massive props to you because also I haven't watched this movie yet, so I don't know how this whole scene plays out. It's like I could be completely different than what we just did. Right. But I was kind of bored saying the line, so that was a terrible job that we did. Have uh, fun with it anyways. That's true. Well, I think that wraps it up for about uh, for this episode here. So if you want to check out this movie, um, then I actually own this movie. On, yeah, I, I tried to watch here. it. At, I tried to watch it on um, IMDb. Um, was yours all messed up? Yeah, it kept like the. Yeah. De- I think it was just a bad version because like I tr- I watched it for like three minutes and then I finally was like forget it and just put the DVD in. Yeah, I had the same problem. I tried it on my iPad. I tried watching it on the Fire Stick at home. Two different Fire Sticks because I, I I thought yeah. maybe it was just my internet or something being weird. Okay, well there you have it, guys. Don't watch it on IMDb TV unless for some reason it works for you. Then uh, right on. But yeah, yeah I own this one too. And it's a it's worth owning for sure. Jake Colvin, thank you so much. That's our sound producer. He's making us sound better and better every time. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, we love it if you shared it with your family and friends or anyone that you think that would like it. Please go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate any kind of positive review you'd like to give us. And uh, we're on just about every other podcast platform app that you might have, most of them. And if you want to contact us, please email us at the Midnight Watch Podcast at gmail.com. Jeremy is dying laughing right now. <laughs> that was. Well, I, I don't know how many takes that was, but I just. Maybe you need to rewrite that for. I probably to make should. It easier. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks a lot, guys. You have an amazing. <clears throat> have an amazing week, and as always, keep up the watch. Yeah.